Hello and welcome to The Stack. Today it's a special show celebrating the newsstand. How would we all survive without our favorite places to buy magazines? Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Today is a show very close to my heart. We're celebrating the newsstand. It is always great talking to editors, designers, but it's also important to hear from those who are selling the final product too. We start the show with Sandeep Garg, owner of Shreeji News and Magazines in London's Chiltern Street, less than five minutes from our office. His space has been renovated in the last years, and now besides selling magazines, it's a space where you can sit down to grab a cup of coffee, attend an exciting event. But of course, for me, the magazine selection is what makes it stand out. I visit the shop weekly, but this time decided to have a nice chat with Sandeep about his business and plans for the future. Sandeep, my first question to you, I mean, I know since the redesign a few years ago, tell us how's it been going, because it really became the place to be in Arlebon, I would say. I think it still is, and for different reasons to some extent. I think we've added value to what we were doing already with the magazines and the publications. I think the coffee has got its own kind of following. People like, not just the fact that the coffee is what it is, but I think the fact that how it's given, there is a lot of kind of care taken by the staff and it just extends what we stand for, which is a community place. And it helps us to promote ourselves, not just as somebody just doing one thing now, but diversification and making it even more reason for people to come to us. Talking about diversification, I mean, let's talk about the events or special events. I mean, only, you know, a week or two weeks ago, you had Burna Boy releasing his magazine here, which is fantastic. It's a huge yeah. name. How does these collaborations work? Is it quite organic or how does it work? Because every week there seems to be like an exciting event here. I think what has happened is people have seen, or I feel people are trying to do things that are more, again, for reiterating, community-led. They don't want to appear as they're doing huge things which are not available to everyone. So the smallness of it works very well with our size. Generally, I think it is organic. It's where people see someone doing something and they have it on social media. So you kind of get an idea of how it can be done for themselves. And we've been very fortunate that most of what we've done is through recommendation and very organic. We don't necessarily go out looking for people. And, you know, to the credit of everyone who's been here and done things, they've gone on and spoken about it. We've had very, very different things. We had Club Rochambeau, which is like a virtual tennis club, having a physical space to burn a boy, a music legend in his own right, being here, signing his publication. And I think that's where it's a nice way to embrace brands that are actually also doing things that connect them back and for them to promote print. Because essentially the whole ethos of the place is still around print. It is very much at its heart a magazine seller, bookseller, and a promoter of the written word. And it feels to me that magazines and some publishers, they want to be here first, perhaps. We have the most recent 
Uh, and by the way, we're hearing the noise of the coffee, right? Yes, that's, yeah. that's great. We like some ambient sounds. Tell us about the latest collaboration of Selfridges, Yellow, Yellow Pages, right? Yellow Pages. Selfridges creative team have been a loyal customer base for us for many, many years. They come here for the rentport, we chat and we discuss things. And I think from that perspective, the person or the team behind this actual publication have been customers of ours, the new of the location. And in a way, they have somehow decided that this is where they would like to release this publication. It's a directory by Selfridges of the places that they recommend. And I think it's one of a kind. And uh, I think it's, uh, we were very happy that they chose us to feature this. Sandeep, one thing I've been noticing in shops like yours, even around the world, I mean, the, the merchandising part of the thing, I think that's quite important because to be honest, I, I even might go and buy myself a t-shirt because I like it. I like the place so much that I mm. think people want to have a t-shirt, you know, a mug or, or whatever. Can yeah. you tell us about your merchandising? How did it work? Because I guess you worked with an artist for that. Uh, we have our own social media person. She's also a graphic artist. So she's behind the design in collaboration with poets and punks who are our collaborative or partner. So they are a publication-led company as well and that's how we got to know them many years ago. We saw the work they were doing and it's kind of quirky, it's fun, it kind of lends itself to producing things that are not at the very high end price point wise but also in a way give our customers a sense of belonging to us as a brand if we can call ourselves that or as part of something that they support, patronize through their time. And another thing, every time I come, by the way, it's busy. I mean, it's never empty, the shop. But uh, do you still have kind of the, the casual customer who come here just to buy a copy of the Guardian, the Telegraph, or, you know, this more kind of day-to-day -day perhaps what you used to have in the past? A lot has changed, and that I would say mainly due to COVID. And a lot of the things that we used to have in terms of customer base has changed immensely. But the regularity of the customers has stayed it's just shifted from print more to coffee. Mm -hmm. But we do get a good crossover. A lot of the people who are having coffee will like magazines and buy magazines. And I actually wanted to introduce coffee a long time ago to the store anyway, because I felt it was something that worked very well with magazines and papers. It's kind of found its own way through COVID and the whole disarray of things and the chaos that we went through. And one thing about magazines, I think, especially this more the biannuals, sometimes you do have old copies that you can, that people can come and, yeah. and, and ask you and they, yeah. you might even sell it as yeah. well, right? Yeah. Maybe not many people know that. Um, yes, it is something that I would like to build on more, the archive, the back issues. What I have been finding quite often, though, it's the more monthly ones and the ones that the cover stars are known for are the ones that people are searching for. Content-wise, it isn't that content-led. So you, it's difficult with the limited size that we have to carry everything. But I keep back issues of some of the products that I like, some of the publications that I like. And finally, I would like to ask you what any plans for the future is just to perhaps build up the space you have here, which is, let's say, it's a fantastic space. We're sitting here in between, right, the shop at the front yeah. and the back where you can buy merchandise. I mean, it's a, it's a lovely space. Yeah. I think for the time being, it's just getting this right. You're never 100% doing what you think you should be doing. So if we can get that 
pin down as much as we can, then maybe we look at an extension and expansion somewhere. But within the set of space that we've got this location, I think we'll just keep on reinventing it and grow organically. Thank you very much, Sandeep, and for all you do, I'm sure. I'll pop by in your shop in the next days. For more on Shriji, do check out their Instagram page, Shriji News. And now, from Shriji to another space I visit often. And its owner is one of our most dear stack friends. It's Jeremy Leslie from Mac Culture. This November, Jeremy is organizing the 10th Mac Culture Live in London with an impressive lineup of guests. But Jeremy already has a similar event in New York and plenty of other events and launches at his shop in London's St. John Street. I visited his shop this week for a chat. He previews Mac Culture Live and offers a review of some of the new titles in his shop. We're very excited to be doing Mac Culture Live back in London again. We skipped last year for various reasons, but we've been doing it in New York and that's been very successful. And on November the 16th, we'll be here back in London at an exciting new venue at the Vitsu showroom in Marylebone, not so far from, from your offices. We have an exciting lineup. We've got Deborah Bishop, who is the um, creative director behind the New York Times Kids section, who delivered a fantastic kind of uh, overview of what the work she does on a monthly basis uh, in New York. And so she's, we're flying her over to talk to London about that. We've got Neville Brody speaking, who I hope needs no introduction, but is one of the kind of most prominent graphic designers who's risen from an editorial background in this country and indeed to working across the world. But his new book just came out and uh, we, did, we did a very nice little event here over the summer with him when the book first came out. Just interviewed him and he was fascinating talking about his background and, and the face and the magazines back in the 80s and 90s, but also how they've fed into his overall practice as, as a designer. So very excited to have him on board. And a few smaller magazines, we've got Maya from Sapphire Journal is coming over from Beirut, and that's a very important magazine. I'm very excited to have her. We had her online during the COVID pandemic when we couldn't do live events so it was exciting to welcome her in real life and then perhaps most exciting in terms of it being a brand new magazine with only one issue out so far we've got the team from the paper from Cardiff and Wales coming not quite sure what to expect from them they came into the shop the other day and they were they were lovely lovely people very funny but very good at what they do and I'm, I'm intrigued to know how they're going to present themselves I love that and it's funny Jeremy since my coach has started there's more and more events, I feel. Of course, my cultural life is, is the big one. It's the one that we're all looking forward. But it's nice that almost monthly you have quite a few events with different magazines. I know there's one coming up with Notebook magazine, mm-hmm. which will t- you will tell us a little bit more. How important are those events for the shop? It's not just simply a shop where you cover by magazines. Mm-hmm. You want kind of to create a community, it feels to me. Yeah, well, it is. I mean, that's one of the things that I didn't really expect and, and you know should also mention when we're coming up a little late this year we'll be celebrating our eighth anniversary of the shop opening but when we did it we anticipated doing events here but didn't really realize what a sort of resource it would be in terms of having a public space where people can pop in with their magazines to show us them that people whose magazine we sell can come and see them on that on the shelves but also we can do these events and they've been really important you know, if we had the resource and manpower, we'd be doing them every week because there's so much demand for them, especially now. I mean, you know, we had to stop for two years. You know, we forget this. So it's been really exciting this year having a proper program. The next one we're doing here, we have a series called Mag Culture Meets where we invite people from behind a magazine that we um, that we sell and, res- and particularly respect 
to come and do a presentation and the next one is Notebook which is the magazine it's published by Mubi the streaming service but apart from the fact it's about movies it's not about Mubi the publisher it's about the joy of movies in the, in the broadest sense and it's a great magazine a genuinely good magazine that happens to be produced by a brand that's fantastic and there's been quite a lot of good film magazines lately I mean Notebook I think the Rabbit's Food I think is very yeah, cool yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's one that I mean I think is quite special I think Little White Lies they're celebrating 100 issues right yeah, yeah. and of course the new issue will be out very soon and I'm sure you're going to be selling here at my culture I mean the new issue's out now actually we're very excited about that. I mean, it's 100, 100 issues. That's a real achievement. And I think, you know, if you go back, it's 2005 that they launched. That's 18 years. I can remember it launching. And, it, you know, they launched, they, they, they've set up this thing that it seems to be really clever. Well, it is really clever. From the beginning, they had illustrated covers rather than photographic covers. And that was more from a lack of budget than anything else. They couldn't afford to do big flashy photo shoots. So they did illustrations. But in 2005, that was such a, a new thing to do and they've stuck with the illustrations over the years so they've had a hundred issues each cover with one exception I think has been illustrated and they set up they really sort of set in motion a sort of key part of the indie scene is you know the use of illustration and hand-drawn elements and stuff it's a very key part in this kind of renaissance of the independent magazines that we've been enjoying over the last 20 years so happy birthday to them Happy birthday, indeed. And also, you have a few magazines besides Notebook, of course. You grabbed Dazed. I think there's an interesting story here about covers, and there's yeah, one yeah. that everyone wanted, right? Yeah, every now and again, there's a magazine that just everybody wants. And, I mean, Dazed is known, apart from the else, for doing multiple covers every time. There was this one cover which featured the Korean star, Young Kook, who everybody wanted. And it's just it's fascinating to me that even, you know, we think of magazines as being very niche and very kind of particular these days. You know, we celebrate them, we love them, we, we're surrounded by people, you, you love them. Mm -hmm. But in the wider world, they certainly sometimes worry that they don't matter that much, but this really matters. There's sometimes a, a cover comes along and, and everybody needs that cover, and so you're getting phone calls and emails. Then the previous time it happened was when an interview had Lana Del Rey on the cover. Yes. We, I mean, that was unbelievable. I was one of them. That. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> but this has been the case with Days this time. There's about eight covers, and, and there's only one that everyone wants, and it's Ian Coop. We've got a few. By the time anyone's listening to this, they'll, they'll have long gone. But I also just wanted to highlight a magazine that we discovered in New York when we were there, and it's the Whitney Review of New Writing. And because it's about writing, they made the, the decision for it to have no pictures, mm -hmm. apart from the old advert. And, you know, people say a magazine has to have text and images. And yes, of course, that's right. It has to have text and images, doesn't it? But then you see a magazine that's purely text, and you think, oh, this a magazine could just be text. So full marks them for um, demonstrating that. So there's always something going on like that. And finally, coming back to the topic of Mag Culture Live, I know you did quite a few events in New York as well. You love both, right? I know you, you have a soft spot for New York as well, right? Yeah, I adore New York. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think if we're talking about where to live, I'm not sure I'd want to live there, but I love visiting. It's a fantastic place to visit. And I always come back completely energised. I find it a very energising place and uh, very positive. And we go there and we do Mad Culture Live. And we do other events with our partners at Bitsu at, at their shop on 8th Street. It just feels like it's a place where stuff happens and you can go there and do it. Thank you very much, Jeremy, as always. And for more information, go to macculture.com.
And this week, the new issue of Monaco is out. For our October issue, we reviewed our very first retail awards. It's a great one. I spoke with Monaco's Emma Searle about Le Kiosque de Paris, who won Europe's Best Newsstand Award, and Casa Magazines, who won Top Magazine Store. So, Fernando, a brand new issue of Monocle magazine has hit the newsstands. And one of the highlights in this new issue is Monocle's new retail awards, which honors shopkeepers around the world who are bringing fresh ideas to our high streets. And among the list of honorees um, is a very special newsstand kiosk in Paris and another corner store in New York. What can you tell us? Absolutely, Emma. I'm very happy that actually three of the 25 awards are kind of newsstand related. Uh, The one I wrote and is very special to me won the prize for Europe's best newsstand. And of course, the name, perhaps not original, but, you know, it's a wonderful kiosk. It's called Le Kiosque de Paris. De Paris. De Paris. Shall we say Paris, right? Uh, And it's owned by brothers Nicolas and Médéric Bogo. And it's interesting, Emma, although it belongs to the mayor of Paris, you know, I think the kiosk, they have a special deal. Uh, Basically, before they were in charge, their parents were in charge. And before that, their grandparents. So it stayed in the family. So it was really nice talking to them because, you know, of course, it's not easy sometimes because the, the... you know, the publishing world changes all the time. But then uh, Nicolas told me that they realized, you know, there's been some difficulties with people perhaps not interested in magazines anymore. But then he noticed that people were interested in very niche titles from around the world. So their selection is amazing. So every time they really go on the hunt uh, for uh, good magazines, and sometimes they're one of the few to stock certain types of magazines in Paris. So it's a really... You know, it's quite special because I think uh, kiosks like this, they're part of a community, you know. Uh, The regulars as well, that they want to buy a copy of Le Monde, of Le Figaro perhaps as well. Oh, lovely. And I love that intergenerational connection. How special. Um, And that's interesting. And why why do you think that these two particular kiosks um, deserve to win? Well, Le Kiosque de Paris, I think, De Paris, right? Sorry, I need to always mention that. Uh, I think, that, first of all, the location is amazing because it's in front of the iconic uh, store Le Bon Marché uh, and the iconic La Grande Épicerie where you can buy all the best wine and charcuterie and then you can buy your favorite magazines outside. So as I said, I think the selection there is very important. Let's talk about the other one. They won the, won the prize for the top magazine store. That's Casa Magazines in New York. Uh, I didn't write the piece. It was our colleague, Chris. Lord, but I visited there last year and they're so friendly. Uh, the shop is run by three men Mohammed Ahmed, uh, Syed Khalid Vasin, and Maria David as well. Uh, they stock 3,000 titles, Emma. Oof, and amazing. It's, it's a little bit messy sometimes when you go there inside, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they have all the new issues, including Monaco, of course, and Confact. But even if you want, let's say, a copy of American Vogue from last year, they they have also kind of some of those old issues. And they're so friendly. They're very chatty. I took a picture of them when I went there as well. Uh, and, and it's quite sad because even in a city like New York, uh, you know, sometimes you go to Times Square, they have those kind of traditional kiosks, but they're not selling magazines or newspapers. 
newspapers anymore. It's just kind of tourist tat, uh, which is quite sad. Mm. But I think Casa magazines, they definitely don't want to go uh, this route. Uh, and, and yeah, they're fantastic. They're friendly. They sell their own merchandising as well. Oh, excellent. I bought a special tote bag there Fantastic. Well. Was, did it have a lovely design on it? Absolutely. They always, because I think a lot of people from, you know, from the art world, from the publishing, they, they like Casa magazines. So they, they want to support them somehow as well. Maybe they don't need support because they're so good anyway. And congratulations once again to Le Kiosque de Paris, when in Paris it's always a favorite. It's right in front of La Grande Épicerie de Paris. Also to the wonderful Casa magazines, when in New York it's also a must. They stock 3,000 titles. Incredible. Also from the magazine world, Thumbi magazine store won the best Asia's top print media outlet. Also on the book side of things, the prize for America's leading bookshop goes to McNally Jackson in New York, Australia's top literary outpost is Readings in Melbourne. And the best Asian expansion goes to Tsutaya in Kuala Lumpur. Fantastic. And listeners, what is your favorite news agent? What is a special place for you that you buy your magazines every week or every month? Do let me know on fp at monaco.com. And talking about McNally Jackson, its owner, Sarah McNally, was a guest on The Stack earlier this year. Here is an excerpt of the interview where she explains the secret to be a good bookseller. A bookstore as a retail venture is so easy to make a mess of because you have literally tens of thousands of things that can be in the wrong space. Like my stores are quite large. They have 60, 50 to 60,000 books in each store and each one of them has to be in exactly the right place and that's a lot of work. I mean, not only alphabetically, but in the section. And then once it's in the right place, it also has to be standing at right angles to whatever it's at. So with that kind of, that, that details, it's at, a, it's at a centimeter level. It's not at a square foot level. And you have to put a lot of trust into the people who love and care for it. And when you're in a bookstore, I always think when you watch a really good bookseller, their hands... My hands become less and less like this as I work less in the store, but their hands are almost like octopi. They just, they know where all the books are. They can hold an enormous number of books in the hand. And it's, it, it's a very physical relationship in the same way that like for a parent has that physical relationship with their child that they just, they know every inch of the body and they can get a pair of socks on or a shirt on. It's the same with the way that a true bookseller can handle the physicality of a space, which is overwhelming. Opening a new store or moving a store and it becomes very obvious how many I mean, 60,000 books, it's a number. When you actually get those things on the floor and you have to lift them and put the... It's kind of a, it's a... It's an overwhelming physical relationship. And I think that respecting what an independent bookseller is doing, it's respecting the physicality of the doing. It's not cooking, it's not making pottery, but it is something... It's, it's a deep relationship with objects and finding their... And letting the objects... It's not even their relationship with the objects. A really great bookseller not only has a relationship with almost every book in the store in a very like real tactile spiritual way, but puts them so the books can communicate with each other in a way and they understand. Like a good bookseller can put five books in, on a table and they understand how those books reverberate amongst each other. And a bad bookseller doesn't get it. They don't see it. They just don't see why one book doesn't belong there or why one book looks like a token. They don't, but a good bookseller gets almost like making a symphony of ideas that's just out of books. Thank you very much, Sarah. And what a lovely mix of people here on the show.
And now we have one more item, right in time for the Fashion Weeks, which are underway in Milan right now. Our fashion editor, Natalie Theodosi, had a chat with me explaining why fashion brands are investing in print more and more. And she tells me the brands that are doing well. When you mentioned that you wanted to discuss the relationship between fashion brands and print, I sort of had a look back through my inbox and just saw that in the last year alone, Bottega Veneta has launched around four print products, some its own, some collaborating with other publications. Just now it was London Fashion Week and Hermes launched this beautiful kiosk on the Strand to debut its Mont Hermes magazine. And right around the corner at Midori House, we've seen different pop-ups for Selfridge's own magazine, Yellow Pages, and other magazines that they support. So it's definitely, I think, a priority as brands are trying to find new ways to communicate with their customers and also just to invest in things that they believe in. And, and a lot of these creative directors are passionate about print and working with different photographers and graphic designers and the other creative directors. Do you feel that those titles, those print titles, are almost like an evolution of the fashion catalog as well, which we're seeing less and less? You know, because as you said, you know, there are stories, they're, they look like normal magazines, right? Definitely. And I think Bottega Veneta that we mentioned is a great example because earlier this month, they released three limited edition books that are in the form of fanzines and they do tell the story of the new collection and the idea is to bring them out every time a new collection launches and it tells a story of how everything was made and the creative process of the designer Mathieu Blasi. So you see the images that he was looking at for inspiration, close-ups of the fabrics that he was using. So it definitely is, in a way, an enhanced, maybe more slightly more creative version of the traditional catalogue. And talking about a fashion catalogue, I have nothing against them, by the way. Uh, and I think there's something print, I think, you know, it creates desire, at least in my opinion. I was looking at yellow pages. I mean... It looks great uh, visually and they have a selection of perfumes and immediately I said, I want to buy this perfume. So perhaps brands are noticing that actually print can actually result in bigger sales as well. Absolutely. And I mean, we're talking about luxury brands mm. and when it comes to communication and different forms of media, print is a luxury product. It's something that they should be focusing on when they're thinking about their communication strategy. And it does create a lot of desire, but I also find that it democratizes a little bit the playing field because now you can walk into a Bottega Veneta boutique and pick one of those fanzines for free. You can go into Selfridges and pick up an issue of Yellow Pages. So it makes the store a little bit of a friendlier space and it also creates opportunities for more dialogues, for events, for people to get together for signings of these issues and uh, special launches. So it's created quite a bit of excitement around what the brands are doing. But on the other hand, I know some people in the fashion industry, perhaps I'm talking about the press in general, there's been criticism that there's almost no fashion critiques anymore because those brands are so powerful. But do you think also the brands are doing their own titles precisely because of that, because they have more control of the content? How do you see that relationship about kind of, you know, having a title with amazing stories, but also, of course, it's made by the brands, so there will be no criticism in there? Absolutely. I think this has been an ongoing conversation, and ever since we started using social media and, and brands realized that they have 
their own platforms where they couldn't communicate directly with customers, they started taking charge of their communications a lot more and becoming a lot more specific and, and controlling in a way about how they communicate. Going into print is, is sort of a, an evolution of that, I think. And they, they realize that they are in charge of communications. They're their own mini media brands in, in some ways. So instead of just looking at the digital channels that they started working with, they're now investing in their own print. I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I think it's an opportunity for them to employ and to work with amazing writers, photographers, graphic designers. Definitely, we do need editorial products that are produced by media companies where you do have less bias and uh, more opportunities for criticism and, and different perspectives. And my final question, Natalie, sorry if it's a tricky one. Do you have a favorite from the ones we mentioned or perhaps one that we didn't mention? What brand did print very well? That's an interesting one. I think... I really love the Hermès magazines just because Hermès is, is such a traditional French brand in many ways, but they use those magazines to go a little bit crazy in some ways and, and to experiment a lot more. Their latest one is filled with these illustrations and the pages are almost designed to be a game taking you from one section to another and they get a lot more playful than you would ever imagine a heritage brand like Hermès ever be. So I'd say um, a big bonus for, for Hermès and, and all the projects that Bottega Veneta has done, not only its own, but uh, having supported launches like Era Freak and Bat Magazine. I think these are publications that would struggle or that would never be able to be printed if it wasn't for the fans of, of the brand. So it's great to see that they're supporting independent media titles. Thank you very much, Natalie. And that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Jack Jewers. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fpandmonaco.com. And don't forget to tell me your favorite news agent, too. And remember, we're back next Saturday at 10 a.m. London time. Meanwhile, you can listen again to the show and subscribe at monaco.com, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Because I find magazines so irresistible. This is Stephanie, Princess of Monaco, with Irresistible. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye for me. <laughs>